Hi, I'm Sally Lucas. Our staff provide the best value for your holiday experience. Contact us today on 49298600 or visit our website, travelonking.com.au, to create your dream. Talking travel with thanks to our sponsor, Travel on King. And Sally Lucas, our spirits are going to feel well as though they're spi- smiling as well. I today. think so. Or soaring or. Soaring, yes. I think we'll of the that. first one anyway. The Aurora Borealis, I know we have mentioned it before, Jane, and talked about all the lovely places you can view it from, but I just thought we'd talk a bit more about this phenomenon itself. And apparently in one of the earliest accounts of the Northern Lights, it was in 1232, it was chronicled by a writer who struggled to explain the phenomenon. And he thought it might have been flares from the other side of Earth that had reached around into the night sky or glaciers that were full of pent-up energy escaping or vast icy oceans of the north surrounded by fires. But it was none of that, of course. We now know that the lights are caused by charged oxygen and nitrogen particles carried from the sun's surface on the solar wind, crashing into our atmosphere and exploding. So having said all that, it's a, it's a scientific phenomenon, but quite a beautiful one. So you feel as if you're, I guess, looking through a, a stained glass window or a, looking at a watercolour that's been just painted on the sky. And you can do and see this normally between roughly, probably the best time, November through to March, April, are your best times to see it. Now, whether you do it from, of course, Norway, which is I guess the most famous location to to view the Northern Lights from, but it can be seen from other areas as well as in Canada, Alaska and um, other Scandinavian countries as well. So, but I just think it's such a beautiful thing to see. And I mean, we have our own down here in the south, but the ones that the Northern Lights just look absolutely stunning. And... um, The Aurora Borealis apparently was named by Galileo in the 17th century for the Roman goddess of dawn and the Greek term for north wind. So there you go. It's got an interesting history, isn't it? And people go there from all over the world to the North Magnetic Pole, which is one of two points on Earth where the magnetic field is vertical. So there you go. Such as the far north of Canada, Greenland, Iceland and Scandinavia. As we mentioned, the lights are more often or most often seen. So changes in the Earth's core mean that this pole is gradually moving and currently it's located near Ellesmere Island in northern Canada. Mm. So it's really interesting, isn't it? In September and October and March and April, the vernal and autumnal equinoxes make the diffractions of colour most likely to materialise. So... It's, mm. There's no guarantees, I guess, but you're almost guaranteed. Because um, I know Horty Gruten, who does that coastal Norwegian voyage, says if you don't see the Northern Lights, we'll give you another cruise for free. Oh, so, so they're pretty confident. They're pretty <laughs> confident that you're going to see the Northern Lights. So, Do you need to have a dark sky to be able to see them? It needs to be the winter months, of course, and a clear sky preferably. Um, but, yes, you've got to wait till it's complete darkness. Apparently they're there all the time. It's just that you don't see them when the sky is light. So we've got to wait for the winter to come and for nearly 24 hours of darkness as they do experience way up in that northern Arctic area. So, yeah, amazing phenomenon, isn't yes, it? So you've got shorter daylight hours if you're there at that time, but yes. you've got the wonderful attraction. That's Well, that's really, I guess, what you're going to go for, isn't it? Yeah. It'd be hard to get used to all those hours of... Um, I mean, I whinge now when we've got the sun going down at 5 o'clock, so, I mean... <laughs> 
<laughs> it's a little bit different. They do say there's a kind of blue light too that comes out yes. when there's snow around, and so yeah. it's not totally dark. Totally dark. Enough. There's some sort of light, but yeah. not yes, yeah, not light as we know it, I suppose, down here. Anyway, um, before we finish just this segment, Jane, I just want to mention a couple of things of interest that have come across my desk this week. One of them's come from the South American Tourism Office to advise there's been changes made to how you can visit Machu Picchu. Um, they're doing it in two shifts, effective from 1 July, which is from 6 to 12 in the morning, and then again from 12 to 5.30, but no entrance is allowed after 4.30. They're limiting the capacity of the Citadel to 2,500 visitors per day, distributed over the two shifts, and the maximum length of stay in Machu Picchu is four hours as of the time of entry into the Citadel. Um, so there you go. So just better keep that in mind and you know, get in early if you're doing something that needs to be pre-booked it would be wise to do that because obviously there's this restriction. And for every 16 visitors, one guide will be required if they're having a group. And for groups exceeding 16 visitors, they're going to have to require a second guide. So I guess that's going to put the cost of some group holidays up as well if you've got to pay for a second guide. But I guess they're doing this, you know, to give options to let most people to see it and and. Yeah, see mm. it well, as leisurely as you possibly can. So you probably will need to reserve your time, time slot. Yes, yes. Or your, your guide will if you're with a guide. If, if you're with mm. a guide, like if you're just freelancing, we always just say to people, because it can get so busy, if you can make sure you get up early and get on that first bus, which leaves at, at virtually at six, I think, from the township of Aquascalientes, if you can be, be up there early, you're probably going to get less traffic because uh, some of the people that are walking in too, they come in early as well. So you might get the walkers coming in early. Um, but generally a lot of other people like school bus groups and things, the groups that come in mightn't come in until a little bit later. So try and get there as early as you can. Mm, the early bird. The early bird that catches the worm. Sally Lucas, yeah, I am enjoying these journeys for the spirit. Where are we off to next? We're off to Java in Indonesia. Now, I went to this particular temple, believe it or not, back in the 70s. I know you're saying I'm not that old, but, you know, I was just a child. Anyhow, I was there. <laughs> and the nearest main town, if you like, to it, is, which was the ancient capital of uh, Java, is Jogjakarta. That's the nearest city, if you like. Now, this particular temple, Barubador is its name, was built in the 8th and 9th century. And it's a great Buddhist monument, but then it was hidden by ash for more than 800 years after an eruption of a nearby um, mountain, a volcano, in 1006. And it's known as the ineffable mountain of accumulated virtues. Oh, so it accumulated ash, but underneath were yes. virtues. So there you go. It's a step pyramid of square platforms, and you you go around at the worshippers' process around clockwise as they climb to the summit. And it, it's got the relief all the way around. Is the story all the way around of, of you know, their, their beliefs as you just follow that around as you go. And it's considered a sacred area in central Java, known as the Kedu Plain. And it's a, it's a huge, um, actually, structure. A lot of it, of course, is now damaged because of the years of time and, and the ash and so on, and it's very worn. And within, they've got these beautiful bells, huge bells all around it with diamond-shaped uh, pieces, if you like, cut out of it. And inside each bell, there was originally the, the head of a Buddha. But over time, again, unfortunately, vandals 
from I'm not sure what centuries, but some of those have been removed. So some of the bells don't contain the heads of the Buddha anymore. But it's still the most fascinating place. It's six square-shaped platforms. They're four sides facing the four cardinal directions, and they support three circular tiers, which culminate in a large central stupa at the top. And this is what you're supposed to get to. That's you. You're working your way to to the top of the stupa. So and the stupa is a some kind well, of a, structure. It's that a reaches structure, but like, like in it. in Nepal, I mean, they call their temples as we call them stupas. But this is the stupa is the highest part of yes. the actual temple, if yes. you like, so um, the inner sanctum. Mm. That's right. So it's considered a sacred summit, and the terraces, as I said, act as pathways, and they guide the pilgrims around the structure, uh, which you can ascend to each new tier by way of stone staircases, which are very old and very smooth, and you have to be very careful, and they're very steep. They're quite steep steps. So you wouldn't want to do this if you were, you know, frail or didn't have good walking ability, put it that way. It's not something for the faint-hearted. You really you know, have to be careful. Um, so it's a most interesting place to visit. And as I said, once you get to the top, the, so the view around it is absolutely stunning. And it's been, you know, used by devotees for centuries as a place of particular, you know, wonderful interest, but also from a spiritual point of view, it's a very special place to visit. Um, so once you reach, of course, that uppermost level of the structure, apparently it's the realm of enlightenment, awakening and Buddhahood, they call it. So mm. that's really quite interesting. And then you're looking at over said lush jungles, and around it they've got 72 miniature stupas at the top here, which you, you can't see, of course, but around the central stupa you've got mini, a, a couple of circles of mini stupas around it once you reach this top. So it's very interesting how it's built, and when you think it was built so long ago, again, we always marvel at these structures. That how did they do it? You know, the implements they wouldn't have had back mm. in the 8th and 9th century to do all this. But as I said, some of the stupas are damaged um, and some of them are, have uncovered the Buddhas that have, haven't got stupas around them anymore, but some of them have been have the stupas are there and the Buddhas have been removed. But it's it's a, each year the Indonesian Buddhas celebrate a special uh, time called Waisak, which commemorates the birth, enlightenment and death of the Buddha by processing to the summit of Barubador. So, again, if you're in Java, really it's a most interesting um, structure to visit and it's, it's just quite beautiful and very, very different to any of the other temples I've ever seen anyway. Uh, I'm sure it could have similarities to some maybe in um, Cambodia or, or Laos, maybe some similarities, but it, it is quite unique. No, a little bit more travel news. A couple Sally. of things that I don't like to pass on, but um, I feel I have to. Um, a lot of the airlines are now charging, as we all know, for seats, particularly economy has been the thing, unless you want to wait until about 48 hours before with a lot of airlines, and then you can hope you can get seats together, FOC. Um, but if you want to book early these days, and depending on what level of fare you're on, as to how much you're going to be charged to book the seat. Right. The lower the fare, usually the higher the fee. Mm. Okay. Um, but Malaysian Airlines now has also introduced seat selection as a chargeable ancillary and it's available also, we're going to be charged on business class as well. Okay. So a few airlines are doing that now, so be aware, check with your travel agent. If you don't want to pay these exorbitant fees, you may wish to choose an airline that doesn't, doesn't charge. Um, also, just a couple of rail issues to remind people of. Eurail passes can now be started within 11 months of their issue date. Oh, so it means really. that's really good. So if you're travelling overseas and you're doing 
a coach tour first or a cruise or something, you're not going to have to worry that your pass is going to expire. And the youth age has now been increased to 27 years, so that's that's all good. And they can start the pass any time before they turn 27 and they can turn 28 during the two-month validity, so that's all okay. And another new one, which I think is fantastic, it's a shame we haven't had it before, Italy, Switzerland, two country pass. Two beautiful countries joined together. I mean, you know, it just goes hand in hand, doesn't it, to be able to do that. So that's now available as well. And also the Glacier Express in Switzerland, that's got a private line now for that special train. That can now be included on the Swiss passes as well. So that's always good. And lastly but not leastly, if you're thinking of doing a barge cruise with European waterways, for the rest of this year, they are waiving the single supplement on most of their hotel barge cruises so that's a big saving for a solo traveler so just keep that in mind and uh well sally lucas it's hot deals time what's around well i suggest you get your pen and paper out if you can because i'm going to try and rush through quite a few that finish on the 30th of june the eofy sale that a lot of people have so um, i will rush um El Questro and Cunanara have, Cunanara, sorry, have one, which is to stay return flights ex Melbourne or Sydney, two nights Cunanara, two nights El Questro at Emma Gorge. Must be booked by 30 June, as I said, and that starts from a touch over $2,000 per person for a four night package. G Adventures have got a range of lovely things available, um, finishing 30 June, cruising the Mediterranean, which has got rebates on 20% off selected their sailing programs, which are wonderful. Also, they've got 10% off limited edition departures on some of their, um, for example, Africa's Serengeti tours, Cambodia's Water Festival, Iceland's Northern Lights. There's a whole range there. And also on polar expedition cruises 2017 and 2018, you can save up to 25% on a range of Arctic and Antarctic cruises with G Adventures. If you're thinking of skiing, snow and ski have got a package to Hakaba in Japan called Snow Monkeys and Seven Nights. So you're getting to do a bit of skiing and that. And it's accommodation, lift, transfers, etc. Hakaba is supposed to be one of the best powder snow areas in Japan. And this is 15% off the accommodation. You buy your own airfare, but this is from just over $1,250 per person for your seven nights lift transfers, as I said, and a whole range of inclusions. Um, fly to South America, only $999 per person. Aurora Expeditions has got an offer for that. If you book on one of their 2017-18 Antarctic Antarctic departures. There's a list available that they have on their website anyway, and that offer ends June. Tahiti, well cold weather. We could always think of somewhere warm to go, can't we, Jane? Tahiti on sale have got some great offers which you can save up to 2500 per couple to a range of their islands, some of the most beautiful looking destinations and overwater bungalows on a range of the islands of French Polynesia, as does New Caledonia, a bit closer to home if you're thinking of something not so far away. And again, they've got savings of up to 2500 per couple on some beautiful properties in New Caledonia. Again, by 30 June, we have a 18-night Africa Safari Voyage Tour. Now, you're flying with uh, South African Airways through to Cape Town, two nights there, full-day safari at a game reserve, then a 16-night voyage on board Queen Mary 2 from Cape Town back to Fremantle. 
So that's quite incredible. You make your own way home from there. But that starts from under $6,000. And being on the Queen Mary, a luxury vessel, and having some time in Cape Town as well, quite an incredible one. And something a little bit different, a Japan Odyssey. Now, this is 28 February next year. Um, The other one, sorry for Africa, was June next year. Um, I didn't mention the date for that one. But the one for Japan is for February. And this is going on the a 31-night cruise on board the Queen Elizabeth from Sydney to Hong Kong. So for people that like those long sea voyages, so you're cruising up from Sydney to Brisbane on to um, Rabaul, then you go to Okinawa, up to Hiroshima, uh, Osaka, a whole stack of places, Kagoshima, uh, Shanghai, Keelung, which is the port for Taiwan in Taipei, Hong Kong, and then, of course, you come home from Hong Kong as well with air. Now, that starts uh, 33 nights, and that's from under $8,500. So all these lovely end-of-financial-year things you can do, and on top of that, if you want to travel and do a, a a, um, a European water cruise, uh, water waterways cruise, should I say, river cruise next year for 2018. Um, Avalon have got fantastic savings of up to $4,800 per couple, so long as you book by 4 August. And a range of discounts on some of their Asia and South America cruises as well, which include the Galapagos. Wow, what a lot to feast on. Oh. I'm out of breath. That's it. <laughs> Thank you, Sally Lucas. <laughs> Thank you, Jane. And uh, you can catch this program on podcast to nurfm.com. And we'll talk to Sally next Friday. Talk travel, that is, on to nurfm. Thanks to our sponsor, Travel on King. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.